what was I saying? Hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macabre. Here on All Things Macabre, we discuss all the things under the topic of odd, weird, true crime, supernatural, and fiction. This podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. If you find a topic we are discussing interesting, we encourage you to do some research on your own. You never know what you may learn. We are just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. And hoping that you'll enjoy and laugh along with us. Through some stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, what the fuck? And now, for the fun part. Hey, Macabre Mob, it's Shelby. And Courtney. And we have a very special series we're about to do for you guys. Yeah, I'm excited. You've really put a lot of time into this and dedicated and more than enough. And still am. Well, I'm yeah, still you're still am. working on it. Which brings me to my point, or a point, I should say, that a story that I was going to do prior to this, we've decided to postpone it until next month so we can dedicate the entire month to Black History. It's already the shortest month. We're not going to cut it any shorter. So we feel these topics are very important to us as individuals as well as... In case y'all haven't caught on or you haven't listened to some of our beginning episodes, we were both raised near Pulaski, Tennessee. Which is a very... It is the home of... Well, it's the origin start of the KKK. KKK, And they do still have rallies. I don't want to talk about it. No. (laughs) But... We feel like we have a chance to help others relate better to the racial inequalities, and we don't want to pass up that chance. Yeah, because, you know, as you said, given from where we come from, we automatically, just because we come from there, do not have that mindset. But people assume we do. But people, yes, definitely assume that we do. And I think it's important for us to break that stigma and just bring attention to, just bring attention to black history in general. You know, from the very beginning to now. One of the things I realized, I said before that I was going to do Emmett Till, and that has not changed. I'm still going to do Emmett Till. However, a lot of us don't realize that the history is not as history as we thought. Yeah. It's, It's not that long ago. So as I started researching the Emmett Till I wanted to do, I had already talked about doing maybe a two part thing on it. And then I started getting into, well, why was it like that? So it pushed it back to the Civil War. (laughs) And I was like, well, why was it like that? So it pushed it back to the American Revolution. (laughs) So we ended up just saying, fuck, let's do what we should do. Let's, Let's show everyone just how unjust it has been for black people in America. Since day one. Since day one. And with that, we, from this episode until probably, what, beginning of March, maybe, we won't really fill in a lot of information or have a lot of banter, so we can dedicate it straight to the information so you guys get nothing but full, dedicated, undivided attention, you know, related to this topic. This is something we find very important to not just us, but society. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, obviously... Slavery existed all over the world and was even used in America's European colonies before the founding of the U.S. Uh, we, we all know it was just slavery was a thing then. Yes. Everywhere. In England, however, there was no active slave trade. But there was nothing to prevent people from bringing slaves with them from whatever colony they were coming from and hold their slaves bondage during that time there. Okay. Yeah. So... I was like, well, why in the fuck did it have to be African-Americans? Was it just African-Americans? Well, they tried to enslave Indians. Of course, you remember Squanto and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It failed because they were kept local, 
And if they were kept local, they would just run off. Because they knew... Yeah, they knew the land, so they would just easily run away. So they would ship them overseas. Well, they often died before they were even able to be sold. So Africans, being the ones who could travel, didn't really have a whole lot of problems with diseases as far as dealing with the Americans or whatever, the Europeans. They were... What's the word? They were very resilient. Resilient. Okay. So they became kind of the, the popular go-to. That's you so... get what you pay for. You know, you want the best. Oh, my gosh. So here we are. We're already, this is, I mean, what, 1500s we're already looking at. Black people are less. However, it was... Seen as an object. It, yes, absolutely an object. The spread of Enlightenment ideas did become a thing kind of in the 1700s, and it made the question of slavery a little bit more complicated. They believed that everyone should have at least some liberty of choosing their work and who they work for, and they wondered how slavery was justifiable if it denied those rights and they were just born into it, not having done anything to actually deserve that. I mean, in general, none of them really asked for it because they were thrown over here against their will anyway. Uh, Yeah, it's fucking sickening. But it took until this time. Finally, in the 1700s is when they began to at least question it. Question it, yes. So this led to the idea that slavery could not exist in a just society. And that's what America was building itself on, right? The United States. All equality. Yeah, it was about justice and being equal. This was most commonly thought by the Quakers. You remember the Quakers. Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard about the Quakers. Uh, it was largely located in Pennsylvania. It wasn't until the 1740s that they started to end participation in the slave trade and started to free their slaves, though. Just the Quakers? Just just the Quakers. It was, like, within their group. Okay. In 1774, the Quakers finally decided to forbid participating in slave trade or owning slaves within their members. So, finally, 1774, they said, you cannot have anything to do with it. Didn't take very long, per se, but then again, in all reality, it shouldn't have taken long in general for people to come to that mindset. I I agree. Everyone should be seen as equal, fresh out the gate. So, there was a little bit about who actually started the Underground Railroad. Obviously, I didn't think about it at first, but the Underground Railroad was during this time because the North was already done with slavery for the most part and the South wasn't. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was a Quaker, Isaac T. Hooper, who I found credited, I believe, on the HistoryChannel.com. Okay. He actually set up a network in Philadelphia that helped enslave people on the run. That was the birth of the Underground Railroad. Really? The earliest mention of it was in 1831 when Tice Davids escaped from Kentucky into Ohio and his owner blamed the Underground Railroad for helping him to his freedom. So that was the first actual mention of it. Of it having a name or publicly, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Acknowledged. Yeah, publicly acknowledged. That's it. So in the Deep South, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 made capturing slaves a business. It was very lucrative. They they were offering monetary rewards for capturing slaves that ran away. They Did I understand that correctly? Property. I was just making sure that I understood yeah, that correctly. Yeah, it allowed local governments to apprehend and extradite escaped enslaved people from within the borders of the free states back to their point of origin. And to punish anyone helping the fugitives. So is it kind of like modern day bounty hunting in a way? Kind of. As long as you're within the states, they can come get you and take you back. Oh, this is on within the state. Yeah, Yeah, like if they got to Canada, it would be different. That that was a lot of their goal was was to to get get to to Canada Canada because Canada was free. So if, if they were caught in a free state, they could still be captured and taken back to their slave owner. That's bullshit. Yeah. So even if you get up all the way to the top, you're about to get to Canada. If you get caught, that's it. And everyone that helps you... They go down with you. They go down with you. So this obviously made it a lot harder for people to escape and harder for people to hide people. And, you know, the people that guided them to the safe house and all that, they Mm -hmm. were called conductors. Conductors. 
and the private homes, churches, schoolhouses, those were the safe houses. Or they were also known as stations and depots. Stations and depots, okay. So, it kind of goes along with the railroad theme. Yeah. Canada, at this time, like I said, offered black people the freedom to live where they wanted, to sit on juries, run for public office, and more. So kind of like modern, what modern day ish, which I mean, even yeah. modern day is still re- much better than but. it was anywhere else. Yes, it was. I would say it's more parallel to what we know today. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. Thank you for explaining not not it quite better. exact, but more parallel. Yes. Thank you for explaining <laughs> it better than me. Efforts <laughs> of extradition from Canada largely failed. I mean, there were some, but obviously, we're talking about the Underground Railroad. We are not going to be some losers. We would be serious losers if we did not take just a second to mention the famous Araminta Ross. You know who that is, don't you? I thought you were going to say Harriet Tubman. Oh, well, that's her. What? Yeah, she was actually born as an enslaved woman by the name of Araminta Ross, and I'm really sorry if I'm butchering that. Please help me. Uh, she took the name Harriet when she escaped the plantation in Maryland with her two brothers in Holy 1849. Shit. So, a little, little interesting fact there. I feel so uneducated right now. Thank, thank the system. Because I'm like, because you said the th- same person, I'm like, wait, that's... A, that's her. What? Okay. So, now we've got Harriet Ross at this point, right? Well, Tubman was her married name. She did get married. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks after they left the plantation... You know, when she changed her name to Harriet, mm-hmm. uh, they actually ended up having to go back. They got returned. And she left again and made her way all the way to Pennsylvania. So she escaped successfully the first time, was caught. Was that With her two brothers. With her two brothers and was turned right back to the plantation. A couple weeks later, yeah. She only was technically free for a couple, a couple weeks. couple weeks. And, I mean, how far are you really going to get in a couple weeks on foot and having to hide? Not that far. So whenever she left again, and she made her way all the way to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. she actually returned to the plantation several times, but it was to rescue family members and others. Okay. That she, makes sense. Yeah. She joined the Underground Railroad and began guiding, them guiding the uh, others. To the, a safe place, or what were they? Stations or depots? Yes, the stations and depots. The uh, <laughs> the other escaped slaves, mainly Maryland, is was her main thing. But she even regularly took groups all the way up to Canada. Really? Mm-hmm. Let's also not forget that she led intelligence operations and fulfilled a command role in the Union Army operations to rescue emancipated slaves. That wow, she's a badass. I mean, so, she's a badass in general. But yes, I mean, absolutely. So shout out Harriet Tubman. We couldn't leave you out of this. And just so you know, for the people that you think we are leaving out, shoot us some names because on the last episode, we are doing a little special thing. Yeah. So going now to Benjamin Rush. He founded the Pennsylvania Abolition Society in Philadelphia in 1774. Most of his early members, obviously, were Quakers. I was going to say 1774. That's around the time of, of the Quakers. Or... Yes. The, the Quaker the Revolution. The... <laughs> <laughs> and, well, you know a pretty famous Quaker. Benjamin Franklin? Yeah. Yeah, he joined the society also for the uh, Pennsylvania Abolition Society. Okay, Benji. Yeah. Although he and Benjamin Rush still owned slaves for part of their lives. Yeah, but I will say though they actually became the first state to explicitly abolish slavery in 1780, so they're at least taking a step in the right direction. Massachusetts followed them in 1781 after saying the Constitution of 1780 had outlawed slavery when it claimed that all men had a right to liberty. I mean, they do. Yeah, you should. If if you're a fucking live. You have a right to liberty. If you're breathing, you should have a right to liberty, but, you know, in certain circumstances. Yeah. (laughs) So, Virginia banned slave trade in 1772 to keep from importing new slaves, but it actually didn't do anything about the current slaves That's what I was going to ask, because I know you said bringing in new ones, but I was sitting there thinking, well, what about the current ones? It just banned slave trade, not actually owning slaves. It didn't free them, it just created, or stopped more from coming. Right. So, I mean, eventually that would phase itself out. 
which is what they were going for, but it never really quite works like that. Never. There were free black men, right? Mm-hmm. And, and women and children. I, I don't mean, I mean it as a collective term. Yes. Even if a black man was free, if he was charged with a crime, no matter what it was, he was tried in slave court. Even though he was free? Even if he was free. Because of segregation and shit. I, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised. Yeah. Man, that's not the crazy part. In slave court, you would be held guilty until you could prove your innocence. But if somebody already thinks that you're guilty, there's no way in hell you can prove that you're innocent. And if you're a black man with a jury of all whites, you got a pretty you're good fucked. chance of not getting your way. Um, yeah. <sighs> so, around this time, New England and the Mid-Atlantic states were starting a movement to abolish slavery. But the Deep South was worried about a slave uprising, seeing blacks as a threat to their way of life. Way of life, as in... What, taking jobs and... You know, Tina gets so, so upset about this. She'll sit there and talk to me while I'm researching. She'll be like, what? Because they don't want to fucking work? Right. they want to be lazy? Facts. That's exactly it. Like, come on, man. And then it will eventually, I'm sure, come down to, and they're going to take her women. Well, oh yeah, that comes in. That comes in. By the end of the American Revolution, slavery became largely unprofitable in the North and was even starting to die out in the South. Eventually got to the South, but yeah. Eventually. (laughs) But it became really unprofitable in the North because they had more factories and more educated jobs. Which makes sense because in the South it was more about farming. Yes. And they didn't have the agricultural side up there as much. Kind of the same thing it is today in reality, if you think about it, but yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take a jump to 1809. Okay. Hop in our... Uh, we're we're going to hop on over... The time machine. I was like, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> we're going to hop on over to the wilderness of Kentucky in a small one-room log cabin where Abraham Lincoln was born. We can't talk about black history without Abraham Lincoln. Good His family moved to the Indiana frontier when he was seven. He grew up wrestling and felling trees, splitting logs to build fence rails. Wrestling? Wrestling. I did not know that whenever I started out on this. That's why I had to throw that in there. And I could see felling trees and splitting logs. I mean, that's a very buff job to yeah, get. That, I mean, I've worked in a sawmill before, and that's not easy. I mean, that that doesn't surprise me, but wrestling... And I gotta think, he's got an axe, not a chainsaw and stuff. Yeah, true, true, yeah. He actually didn't have a lot of formal schooling. I didn't know that either. But he did borrow books from his neighbors, and he educated himself. So he taught himself. He did teach himself. Wow. And in his 20s, he actually became a store clerk where he settled in Illinois. And later, he passed the bar and became a trial lawyer. Why be damned? It surprised me, too. I didn't know it was that easy to just go get into taking the bar. But I guess times were different then. I was going to say back then. So most people know him as a tall, lanky guy or whatever. He was known to tower over people at the height of six foot four. So six foot four on top of that big ass hat that he wore. Yes. The hat, his little stovepipe hat, Uh it actually carried important papers in it. For real? Yeah. Yeah, it carried important papers in there. Uh, He had sunken cheeks and messy hair. Sucking cheeks and messy hair. Mm-hmm. He was known to his clients for his wit and his intelligence, and that's how he became known as Honest Abe. Honest Abe. Yeah, so I don't, I couldn't really find if the Penny story was true. You know, like, I've heard that he went to a store and they gave him an extra penny back as change, and he walked home and realized it and came back to the store and gave the penny back. I don't know if I know this. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. But you just it may have been just something that my family had told me. I don't know. <laughs> but either way, in 1846, he successfully ran for Congress. But he only served one term and was like, mm, I'm going to go back to law. Okay. But a decade later, the debate over the expansion of slavery caused him to step back into politics. Here's where a lot of people get it wrong. He did not want to abolish slavery where it already existed. In fact, only a minority of Northerners wanted to abolish slavery. 
He wasn't part of it. He just believed the Constitution protected slavery where it already existed. He thought it was a monstrous injustice, but he was against expanding because it it didn't, the Constitution didn't protect expanding it, it just protected where it already existed. And he doesn't want to really ruffle any feathers, so he didn't want to completely get rid of it. Well, yeah, and I mean, he thought it was monstrous, but he was about upholding the law. And the way the Constitution was worded, he couldn't abolish it where it already existed. They had to do it. He could influence them, but he couldn't just straight up say, no, it's done. I like how you explain that. I I really like that take that you put I've listened to many, many hours on this trying to get a good understanding because I did not understand it like this from high school or college. I was going to say, when I was in college is when I had learned about, you know, a little bit about him actually being against it, but he didn't really want to do much about it. And I never quite understood it. And But now that you explain it that way, it makes more sense to Mm -hmm. me. So these thoughts that he had... Got him into the Republican Party in 1856. Just the next year, the Supreme Court saw the case Dred Scott v. Sanford. You ever heard of that case? Dred Scott v. Sanford. That's the case that ruled that black people, both free and enslaved, were not U.S. citizens and that laws excluding slavery from the Western territories were unconstitutional. Lincoln didn't approve of this, saying it just guaranteed the black man's bondage, which it really did. That's what I was just about to say. I mean, you're saying that whether you're free or not, you're not equal to us because you're not a U.S. citizen. The audacity. Where the fuck do these people get this from? (laughs) It's because they were entitled, because they could. They think they're entitled. They act entitled, but you're really not. Lincoln and many Northerners resented the power that pro-slavery forces were exerting on the country, and he ended up making it the main focus of his campaign for the U.S. Senate in 1858, and that's when he accepted the Republican nomination in Springfield, Illinois. Okay, so now we're making sense. Okay, I'm with you now. Now, one of the most commonly known things about this entire thing is a famous line that Lincoln said. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. This is exactly right. It is right. Obviously, Lincoln's thoughts made Southerners all fear that he was going to end up trying to completely abolish slavery if he became president. And they thought, well, shit, that's going to screw up everything we've got. In October of 1859, a radical abolitionist, John Brown, led a botched raid at the Federal Armory at Harper's Ferry, Virginia, in which he was hanged for treason for trying to seize weapons and launch a massive slave rebellion. This attack led Southerners and slave states to a paranoia and fear that just made them insist that Brown was an agent of the Republican Party, especially to the radical pro-slavery faction. Uh... They were the Southern Democrats known as the Fire Eaters. Fire Eaters. The Fire Eaters. And they had already been wanting to see the Southern states secede from the Union. So, I mean, they were just really fired up about this. All the Democrats together actually ended up splitting their votes due to wanting more full-throated support of slavery, which there is more information behind that. Lincoln actually kind of tricked his opponent to... Supporting slavery? Not really, not, not, not really not supporting it, but not being able to say that they couldn't be citizens or some shit. Like, he tricked him, and it made it look like he wasn't fully supportive of slavery, the other guy. Okay. So, this split the Democrat votes. Well, that ended up working out for Lincoln. He ended up getting elected in 1860, which obviously made the southern states go in total crisis mode. Right, because they're come or they are afraid that he's coming against. Well, he is kind of against all of their beliefs, but he wasn't he trying ste- to stop it though. But they felt like he was stepping on their toes and he was going to take everything away. Exactly. So the Southerners thought that Lincoln and the Republicans were a threat to their entire economy and their way of life because by 1864, not only were the slaves worth around three billion in the Southern economy. But the general thought that was if they let their slaves go, then they will have to free from their own land. 
Remember what you were saying earlier? There was something about, you know, well, they're going to take our women. Yep. They thought that the black men would rape and kill their daughters and wives. Oh, Not my only God. would they strike fear in others over the idea of liberating black people with the idea of rape and murder, but they also argued that even the poorest white laborers benefited from slavery because it kept them a step above the lowest class in a strict southern hierarchy. <laughs> I have no words. I have no... And I'm only... The laugh is just like, you know, the audacity, but... I, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised. It, you know, you you know it, but you don't. I think just reiterating it and reminding me again just how serious it was. Well, they they gloss over the American Revolution. They gloss over the Civil War. I mean, what do you remember from high school? What started the Civil War? I think you asked me this, and I looked at you, and I was just like, um, I don't remember. I don't. I didn't have an answer, and then I had also told you that I somewhat remember, or I think that it had to do with an individual or an African American male who could read, and it was something to do with slavery. I think um, that he was questioning, or he was trying to advocate for. I don't like my details are blurry, but that's all I can really remember, and I don't want to butcher it, so I'm not going to say more. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, they just tell you in school. It started over slave rights. But again, I didn't learn that until college. So yes, all through like under, I mean, school or grade school until high school. Yeah, it had to do with like just slave rights. Slave rights. But they didn't really tell you about all this shit of the freemen in the north. No. It was all good and dandy up there. It was just the southern states where black people had trouble, right? Yes. Well, we're already seeing that's not true. Yes. So, all of this led to even more states seceding, including Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana, Texas, and Georgia. Most assumed that the North wouldn't oppose to them seceding, but many feared that the South was moving down a dangerous path, and Congress tried to come up with a compromise to prevent more secession from going on. But these seven states that seceded met in Montgomery, Alabama to form the Confederate States of America, where they quickly drafted a temporary constitution that mirrored the U.S. Constitution, but it explicitly protected the rights to own enslaved people. Of course it did. Both in the Confederate States and in any new territory that the South may acquire. And then they elected Jefferson Davis as their provisional president. It was Jeff- Jefferson Davis. You're just looking like I'm like I don't okay. Know. I was like I don't know who Jefferson well, Davis is. <laughs> he was a stern, humorless slave owner, and he was on the U.S. Senate until Mississippi seceded. He was a West Point graduate and a veteran of the Mexican American War. Okay. He was more interested in military command than serving as president. Okay. But he spoke to a crowd, stating that the time for compromise has passed and the South was determined to maintain her position and make all who oppose her smell Southern powder and feel Southern steel. So, two days later, he took office. Smell Southern powder and feel Southern steel. Guns. You gotta think it's muskets and stuff back then. They had to load the powder. I just, I I get, I get it, but I'm just It's ridiculous. I'm just, yeah. This is all over expanding slavery and owning people. Yes, it's a pissing contest. Really. About owning people. They're people. They are. They're like me and you. It wasn't seen that way, and that's the thing that I, I, and I exactly, I agree with you, because I think I'm in shock. Does that make sense? I I was shocked (laughs) learning all this. Like I said, I had to go way back, because all this were questions I had to why it was so bad in the South in the 50s. I didn't realize why it was so bad. So, March 4th, 1861, good old Abe Lincoln read his inaugural address and carefully worded it to avoid alienating the South and preventing secession of the last eight remaining slave states in the Union. He pledged not to interfere with slavery and sent a very clear message saying that the North would not attack the South unless attacked first. In fact, he said specifically, 
in your hands, my dissatisfied fellow countrymen, and not in mine, is the momentous issue of civil war. He closed a speech pleading for reconciliation of the Union, but this obviously didn't make a difference to the states that already seceded. In fact, whenever they seceded, they actually seized the federal property within their state, including arsenals and forts, and only one major fort in the South still flew a U.S. flag by the day of inauguration. Only one. Only one. So they were going back to their state flags and going to the Confederate. Okay. I'm following. So it's pretty clear that the Civil War was all over slavery and black rights. Right? Yeah. So... We both went to college. How did it actually start? I'm going to... You told me something, a little bit about a black man and reading. Yes. I I feel bad that I don't know his name, or I cannot remember his name or all the details. I don't know for sure. That may be a story within. Okay. Because it was actually Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor in South Carolina. It was one of the most important forts, and it was super vital for Southern trade. The commander was a former slave owner from Kentucky, Major Robert Anderson. You might have heard of him. I don't know. That name does sound familiar. However, his loyalty to the Union was a lot stronger than his wishes for the South. So, he went with his country instead of breaking off and going with the South. Smart man. The only problem was Fort Sumter was cut off from receiving supplies because they were on this big man-made granite island and were surrounded by 600 South Carolina militiamen. Holy shit. Yeah. They would just fire upon any vessel that would approach, even if the vessel was unarmed. So it would just make anyone that tried to come up turn around and have to go back. So the South Carolina forces agreed to leave the fort alone as long as the federal government made no attempts to reinforce it. But when Lincoln got into the Oval Office after his inauguration, in fact, it was the next day, he found a message from Major Anderson reporting that they only had enough supplies to last a few more weeks. It really left Lincoln in a bind. Just this this huge dilemma. Yeah, he's in a pickle. Big time. I mean, he's stuck between supplying the fort But if he supplied the fort, he would have to attack the militia and start a war. Right. And that would cause the other eight states that are teetering on seceding to just go ahead and pull out of the Union. Yeah. Or he could just let it go. But if he lets it go, he's going to look like a wuss to the Confederacy. It shows great weakness to just give up your fort just already to 600 men. And it was the next day, right? Yeah. As soon as he took Oval Office. No pressure. No pressure. So, April 6th, he finally decided to tell the South Carolina governor that he was going to send supplies, but he promised to not reinforce the fort with weapons, ammunition, or soldiers unless South Carolina attacked first. So, he was leaving it up to Jefferson Davis, who was already under a great deal of pressure to assert the Confederate independence, no matter what. Like, I don't care if it means war I don't care how many people we gotta lose. This is what we're gonna fight for. These are our beliefs. America. (laughs) On April 9th, Davis ordered General Beauregard to take Fort Sumter. Beauregard. Beauregard. That's one of the generals for the now Confederate Southern Carolina, whatever. He sailed up to the island, and he demanded the surrender of Anderson twice. But both times, they were like, no, (laughs) we're not going to surrender. Sorry. (laughs) Even going back. So, yeah. So, I'm glad he just tried to just float up to him and be like, hey, give me your fort. No. Okay. And then go back the next day or something. (laughs) Hey, please give me your fort. No. Well, this obviously pissed him off because April 12th, 1861, about 430 in the morning, Confederate artillery opened fire over the next 30 Three hours. Jesus. With over 4,000 shells hitting the fort. Yeah, he didn't just roll up that time. Alright, so you already know that the fort was low on supplies. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of trouble keeping the fort. And the next afternoon, Anderson decided to surrender and evacuate his soldiers. Hate to say it, but he probably made the best choice for his people. I definitely agree. 
But this got both sides of the Mason-Dixon line geared up to show that compromises would be extremely difficult by this point. Civil War has started. I knew none of that. That is how the Civil War started. I knew absolutely zero. It really ties in the black struggle a lot a lot more, I feel it like. It really does, yeah. You're, I didn't you're realize right. that it was tied in that strongly. I, I just didn't. I didn't realize the South was that shitty. Of course we live in the South, so of they're not trying to paint so, us as us being the assholes. Yes, we are Southern, and I am so sorry for the Southern states in the past couple hundred years, really. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to make a change. <laughs> So Lincoln asked the eight remaining slave states, they were like bordered between the North and the South. Mm -hmm. They were called the border states, actually. They still had slavery. He asked them to take arms against the states, the other states that seceded. And this caused Virginia and a few others to secede. I mean, I kind of get it. We're kind of trying to stay out of it, but it's not going to work. This is where it's been said several times that you're either for America or against. You're either a traitor or a patriot. There was no in-between on this issue. So this is where we meet the infamous Robert E. Lee. You've heard of him. I definitely know that name. He's, what, a Confederate hero? Supposedly. Uh, He was the son of a revolution hero. Okay. He was also a slave owner that managed more than 200 slaves between three plantations. He's got enough, right? Well, not only that, he drove his men hard, gave harsh punishments, and ruthlessly separated families. I say, small dick alert. Yeah. (laughs) Yet, wait for it. He had the audacity to say that slavery was a moral and political evil, but not because the black people suffering in bondage. But because, and I quote, I think it a greater evil to the white man than to the black race. The painful discipline that they are undergoing is necessary for their instruction as a race. White men were doing the difficult but necessary work of enslaving black people for their own good. What the fuck? Excuse me? What the f- Okay, so, (laughs) Robert E. Lee has a micropenis. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, he definitely If he even does. has that. So he's basically saying that white men went through the trouble of catching the black men, but it was for their own good. No, that they have to whip them for their own they good. They have to whip them for their own good. They gotta beat them and, and instruct what they do for their own good. Let me be some sense into you. Yes. Lincoln actually offered Lee the job of commander of the Union forces, but Lee's loyalty to Virginia was stronger than his loyalty to the Union. So opposite of the last one. And he actually resigned from the U.S. Army and became general for the Confederate Army. Okay, so that's why his name is all over our history books in school. That's why. He was the general of the Confederate Army. North Carolina, Tennessee, and Arkansas seceded, leaving Missouri, Kentucky, Maryland, and Delaware as the only remaining slave states where their populations were actually divided in their allegiance between the North and South because slavery was less prevalent in those areas. You know, they, they'd become more factory-oriented okay. in those areas. May 13th, 1862, Robert Smalls and a crew of fellow enslaved men took an armored Confederate cotton steamer and sailed out of the Charleston Harbor, picked up their families, and headed to the Union blockade knowing that they could surrender the boat when they got to the blockade and gain their freedom. This was just a small group of tens of thousands of enslaved men, women, and children that freed themselves during the Civil War. Why were we never told about any of this? I never heard about Robert Smalls. Or any of it. Any of it at all. Because that's a big story to tell because, you know, he and his, you know... They risked their lives. Fellow people, you know, fellow, like his crew members who were also enslaved, you know, they got their their families and their kids and... Or, I mean, the kids of their family, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they were able to, you know, go to freedom. And this is all they had to do was make it to the Union. Because the only thing we were ever told was, you know, the South's going to rise again. Like, nobody gives a shit. So this this becomes kind of a little tricky line, though, right? Because they are considered property, however you want to fucking consider someone property. Right. So how did they know it would work to get to the Union blockade? 
They didn't, really. I guess they just kind of trusted it, right? Well, another thing you probably didn't know. On May 24th, 1861, Union Major General Benjamin Butler. It's a mouthful. Butler refused to return three enslaved men to their owner, a Confederate. He insisted that the men were contraband of war, and that he had as much right to seize them as he did to confiscate enemy material. It's smart little idea. I was gonna say, okay, I see what you're, you're what you're doing. Newspapers soon popularized the term contraband for enslaved people who escaped to the Union, which led to eight more men arriving at the fort two days later in search of their freedom. Then, 47 people, whole families and women, babies, even elderly people came the very next day. The word of mouth is a... Yes. <laughs> you know, Very real powerful. Thing. Wow. So this is what sparked the debate about emancipation since the Union hadn't gone to war to end the slavery just to stop it from expanding. Right. Obviously, most Northerners didn't care about black freedom. Most just wanted to save the Union from destruction of a treasonous rebellion. You know, the soldiers were actually even forbidden to interfere with slavery. But some abolitionists felt that it should be pursued as a military necessity since slaves made up half of the South's labor force and freeing them would deprive the Confederates of its manpower. Exactly. So, again, they're... Not thinking about black people as people, they're thinking of them as, well, if we free them, then we have an upper hand on the Confederates. Still kind of fucked. True. Still kind of really fucked. Because they're still somewhat seen still as property, really. Yeah, and look, no person is property. I don't care what color you are. I don't, ever, I don't care what nationality you are. You're not property. I completely agree. So, at this time, most Democrats in the North opposed emancipation, while Republicans wanted to see the end of slavery, but they couldn't agree on how it should be done. Lincoln was very clear in hating slavery, but he didn't think it should be the goal of the war. He, he just wanted to preserve the Union and avoid the issue of emancipation altogether. But with more and more slaves seeking refuge, they agreed to consider them contraband, and Lincoln decided he knew the Constitution protected slavery, but that the Confederate forfeited their constitutional rights when they seceded from the Union. True. So, you want to leave me, you're giving up your rights. Smart play. Yes. This led to Congress passing the Confiscation Act. It was on August 6, 1861. It allowed Union officers to seize runaway slaves that had been directly employed in the Confederate war effort. It covered people who were working in forts and docks and armories, but it didn't actually help anyone that was just growing food. It didn't actually set anyone free, either. All this did was strip slave owners of their claims to their property. I was about to say, what, is it, what did it do, then? Oh. And that, that was only if they worked for the direct war effort like yeah food feeding the soldiers we're gonna call that indirect so you're not actually producing stuff for the war but they are but okay yeah, they should have been able to get it by 1862 republican politicians became convinced that slavery could not be separated from the larger effort to save the union yeah it kind of goes hand in hand so in April, Congress outlawed the slavery in Washington, D.C. and ended decades of bondage in the nation's capital. It freed like 3,000 people. That's a lot. Yeah. July 2nd... The day before my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> July 2nd, Congress passed the second Confiscation Act, which was more aggressive than the first, stating that all slaves who escaped their rebel masters would be free. Which is what the first act should have It really should have. I mean... Come up here, you're free. Good, got it. So, January 1st, 1863, Lincoln was ready to bring slavery to center stage. It was his public warning that unless Confederate states returned to the Union by New Year's Day, that their slaves would be free from then forward and forever free. 
It was worded as a necessary wartime measure to weaken the Confederacy by robbing them of their most critical resource. Again, we're talking, he didn't really want to end slavery to end slavery. He wanted to end slavery to help the Union and weaken the Confederates. So he was trying to, again, you know, go after resources. Yeah. This, however, caused widespread outrage. Southerners just saw this as proof of their warnings about Lincoln being right all along. Like, oh, I knew he was going to end slavery. And Jefferson Davis gave a speech saying, Can they preserve the Union by destroying the social existence of a portion of the South that's striking at everything which is dear to man? (laughs) What? (laughs) Northern black men and women and their white allies, don't forget them, They packed churches and town halls to celebrate the news. And at this time, black men had tried to enlist in the Union Army, but they weren't allowed to actually get into it. However, after the emancipation, black soldiers and sailors were officially accepted into the Union forces, which caused a rush of black men to join the Union. So they were able to go against the Mm -hmm. um, The Confederates. And this this brought this brought so many people in the fight. They were all segregated into black units. I believe there were there were actually seventy regiments that were formed. Wow! Again, they were all segregated. Pres- yeah. But Lincoln hoped that recruiting former slaves to fight battles in the South would actually have a powerful effect on the Confederate morale. I mean, if your old slave is fighting against you, I guess it would be. Kind of a morale crusher. It, I would think. I would think so. So they started recruiting slaves and ensuring their freedom. They just had to fight for the Union. Okay. So you come fight for us and we'll, we'll, give, you'll, we'll give you your freedom. We'll guarantee that you're free. So this is all great and dandy, right? I feel like you know, they had coming. like 70 regiments of these black Union so- soldiers. Well, you know they were segregated already. Mm-hmm. They were paid less. And often, they were relegated to the labor as opposed to fighting. And they faced worse consequences if they were captured than the white soldiers. They were brutal to black prisoners of war. Sometimes they would execute black soldiers right on the spot. Oh my god. But this didn't stop more than 180,000 black men from taking arms for the Union side. They actually made 10% of the Union army. Wow. But no black soldiers fought for the Confederate army. I mean, I don't blame them. They did take some slaves and force them into, or blacks in general, and force them into labor battalions, but they didn't actually fight for the Confederates. Okay. So, yeah, about 10% of the Union was black. And I think it's something that also needs to be talked about, because I didn't know that until I you didn't just know told that me either. that. I knew some, but I didn't realize it was 70 battalions. and Yeah, I didn't know. Actually, I don't think I knew any of that. It, it's quite a few, 180,000. It's quite a few men. That's a lot, yeah. We're right here in the center of America talking about this. Mm-hmm. How's the rest of the world feeling about this right now? Especially, you know, Britain, England. That is a good question. You don't know anything about it, do you? No, that's <laughs> why so I'm kind of hesitating to comment. <laughs> well, I told you earlier that they didn't have active slave trade. Right. But... You could end up bringing your slaves with you and holding them in bondage. Yes. Well, after emancipation in the U.S. or the Union, I guess, British abolitionists... It's so hard to say. It is. British abolitionists held mass meetings supporting the Union and had found new suppliers in Egypt and India for British cotton import. For the industry for cotton. For British cotton industry, so they would no longer need southern plantations. They wanted to make sure that they supported the South in no way. Wow. They refused. That's what you get for showing your ass, I guess. There's not a whole lot on the actual Civil War as far as black rights and black inequality other than what I've already said. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to sit there and drag it out to be this long, this battle happened, that battle happened, so on and so forth. I'm just going to say, do you know how it ended? We surrendered. We as in the Confederacy surrendered, right? You don't claim yourself as Confederate. Well, no, no, I don't. But I'm <laughs> just saying, you know, because of the state that we're but in. But yes, the Confederates surrendered. Robert E. Lee, Mr. Micro himself, micro penis. 
he surrendered his troops to Union General Ulysses S. Grant on April 9, 1865. It became clear at that time that the Confederates were stretched too thinly to break through Union lines, so Lee said, There is nothing left for me to do but to go and see General Grant, and I would rather die a thousand deaths. I would rather die a thousand deaths. How dramatic. However, he wanted to prevent further unnecessary destruction to the South, so he went and surrendered. He put swallowed his, his pride. I was going to say he put his big girl panties on. He actually surrendered earlier in a battle before the Apotomox courthouse. But, again, that doesn't really pertain to black history. <laughs> so, now we're a big old happy family again, right? No. Well, December 18th, 1865, the 13th Amendment was ratified into the Constitution. Do you know about the 13th Amendment? I guess rid of slavery. That abolished slavery in the U.S., this created an era where the Jim Crow laws took effect. You've heard of that? I have, but I told you whenever you mentioned it, I have no idea what they mean or what they stand for. So these were actually a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation and were actually meant to marginalize blacks by denying them the right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. Now that you say that, I guess I did know what they were. I just didn't know that's what they were called. Yeah. And, obviously, breaking these laws often caused arrest, fines, jail sentences, violence, and even death. The root of these laws, because I didn't know a whole lot about them, actually come from the Black Codes as early as 1865. You know, right when the war ended. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a cartoon that was extremely degrading towards black people. I don't remember the name of it, but it was around for about 100 years. And that's where they got the picture and the name for Jim Crow. Really? They they were like this little cartoon tells totally degrading black people. I'll show you. I'll put a picture on there. Okay. These black codes were local and state laws that detailed when, where and how formerly enslaved people could work, and for how much compensation. So They're still being controlled. Yeah, it pretty much just put Southern blacks into an indentured servitude. It took away voting rights and controlled where they lived, how they traveled. They could even take their children for labor purposes, and it was all legal with these black codes. They're still slaves. Yeah. So, under these codes, black offenders could be incarcerated at labor camps. This is where prisoners were treated like slaves and often received longer sentences, obviously, than white equals. Does something sound familiar there? I was just about to say, God, yeah, our lovely uh, jail system. (laughs) It, It sounds pretty damn accurate to today. It does. So, this is in 1860s. Why are we still doing the same shit? I mean, hell, it's 2023 and we're still doing the same shit. Why Why do white people still feel like they're superior? I don't know whoever put that in somebody's head, but I do agree that it needs to go away because we're not. We're all equal. The more I research this, the more I feel like this sounds like Hitler. It really does. It sounds like straight genocide. Like, I'm better than you, so... You ain't gonna be shit. You know, I didn't think about that until you mentioned it that way. It sounds... The Confederates are just like Hitler. I so, didn't ever think of it that I way. I just want to say, I had a rebel flag in high school. I don't know if you remember it hanging on my wall or not, but it was kind of a thing at our high school. Yeah, it was. I don't want to talk about it. I remember about. telling people all the time, it's heritage, not hate. I did not understand... The bullshit that came with Confederates. Right. How is it heritage when your heritage is hate? You're exactly right. Because, I mean, that is something that we were told is, you know, if you if you have one, you know, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily um, racist. racist. But then that's what the, the response usually is, is heritage, not hate. But we're only told the... The battles. The rose-colored, you know, fluffy version we, and We the see the whitewash version. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. We see the whitewash version. We see the battles. We don't see in history classes the slavery issue, the black rights issues. We don't see those. We're not taught those. Yeah, not at all. 
So, in the 1880s, big cities in the South didn't fully adapt with the Jim Crow laws. So, blacks actually found more freedom. And, of course, this led to more blacks moving into the cities. Mm-hmm. Well, this pissed off the white population. Of and they started did. to demand more laws to limit the blacks. Of course they did. Can't you just share? Mm. This no. spread no. <laughs> this spread the Jim Crow laws even more forcefully than before, segregating theaters, restaurants, and even forbidden blacks from entering public parks. Which I'm going to tell a you a story park. about that later. It's going to take place in the 1950s, but um, I'll tell you about it later. It's a public park; they are not allowed. They could also not live in white neighborhoods. You ready for a big one here? No, but go ahead. So, whenever they had to go to court, put your hand on the Bible and swear, Mm -hmm. they had a whole ass different Bible. They weren't even allowed to put their hand and swear on the same Bible that a white man did. Of course, I'm silent because I'm... Yeah. My face is saying things that my mouth can't say, but... I... Why... Yeah. Segregation was both in the North and South. However, blacks did have more freedom in the North, and they feared being lynched in the South. So, I know that you and I both have heard about lynching, Mm -hmm. but I just thought it was, like, a black man or black person being hanged or beat or something. I didn't really know what it was. How about you? That's exactly what I thought, too. So, lynching, by definition, on Wikipedia here, is extrajudicial killing by a group. It is most often used to characterize informal public executions by a mob in order to punish an alleged transgressor, punish a convicted transgressor, or to intimidate people. It can also be an extreme form of informal group social control and is often conducted with the display of a public spectacle, such as hanging for maximum intimidation. Instances of lynchings and similar mob violence can be found in every society. And then it goes right below it, starts immediately talking about lynching taking place in the United States, especially being frequent right after the Reconstruction era. They were reconstructing the states. Yes. So, in the South, they really feared lynching. Many people went to live a little more freely up North, or at least not be worried about being lynched. Mm-hmm. Just because slavery was abolished didn't mean that people saw everyone equal. equal. Obviously, we've gone through this quite a bit, but I'm trying to say it a million times because it's been going on for hundreds of years, and we are not getting it through our fucking heads. Facts. Many whites, even in the North, might be fine with blacks not being enslaved, but they seem to think that they were still better than blacks for some reason. Here's where it just goes on and on with the same shit for years. We're actually going to skip ahead and go to 1921. That's going to be the birth of Mammy Till. Till. Emmett Till's mom. However, we've already got about an hour into this part right here, so I'm going to save Mammy Till for the next part. I'm excited. I am too, because, look, Emmett... Emmett's dear to me, and I'm really hurt that I never heard about him until I was an adult. I I completely agree. I actually went to the library today, and I checked out this book called Death of Innocence, the story of the hate crime that changed America. It's by Mammy Till Mobley, the mother of Emmett, and Christopher Benson. It's actually what I'm getting a lot of my research out of. It's from her point of view, a lot of it. I'm super excited to share the next episode. I'm super excited to get it recorded. I'm super excited to record it, too, because I know when we were going through the book, you were showing me a lot of information and the pictures and everything, and I know when you had told me about it and you said, you know, who had written it, I was like, sorry, who had wrote it. I was really excited because it's coming straight from her. Yes. So, the Emmett Till episode is going to be the next episode with starting with his mom and her childhood a little bit. Well, not so much childhood, but you'll you'll see. Okay. And we'll keep going. We'll try to get a full four episodes out of this because I, th- I think we deserve to put out a full month for this. I completely agree. It deserves 
you know, the acknowledgement and does. the support. Hopefully you guys agree with us. If I- not, then hit us up. Talk to me. If you feel like you have racist views, I will try to help you see things in a different light. Um, I recently had this conversation with someone else. They didn't quite understand all the struggles that blacks went through. So I broke it down. What if you had been born black? Maybe that's something some people need to think about. Mm -hmm. You're not better just because you're born white. Mm -hmm. You're not better because you're born black. You're not better because you're born anything. What makes you better is seeing everyone as an equal. Exactly. So, we're going to cut this short for today. I guess you can call that short. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next week with the next episode. Until then, continue to still send in some stories, recommendations, you know, interact with us. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Emmett and Mammy, making sure I pronounce her name, make sure I pronounce her name correctly. I'm really looking forward to the story because I can tell that it's near and dear to your heart. It is. And so if it's as detailed as what the first part of the four, you know. It's going to be quite a bit. It's going to be good. But until then, you know, listen, send the recommendations and we'll see you next week. Uh, See ya. Bye, guys. All research is done by Shelby Hudgens, Courtney Pylon, and Tina Collins. A special thanks to Tina Collins for managing us, and we are a lot to manage. All social media is linked in the description below. Be sure to follow us, and don't forget to leave a rating on wherever you get your podcast. If you have an interesting topic that you'd like to hear on our podcast, please email it to allthingsmacabre.pod at gmail.com. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Did this episode make you say, What the fuck?